Reteach, podcast for teachers seeking fresh viewpoints, deeper subject knowledge and diverse thinking. Hello everybody and welcome to Reteach Geography podcast for teachers seeking fresh viewpoints, deeper subject knowledge and diverse thinking. Visit reteach.org.uk slash subjects geography for resources to help you offer students broader perspectives on key topics and free to access guides all written by subject experts. I'm your host Kit Marie Rackley and my pronouns are they she. I am delighted to be joined today by Elon Kelman, Professor of Disasters and Health at Institute of Risk and Disaster Reduction based at University College London. Elon is the author of the popular book, Disaster by Choice, How Our Actions Turn Natural Hazards into Catastrophes. It is such an honor to see you, Elon. Welcome. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity and also for all the work that you do. Absolutely. It's um, absolutely my honor. I mean, it's the I'm going to give them a shout out, even though they're in the background, to Michael and Federica who who make this all happen for us. And uh, I don't think the people in the background give as much for credit as they do in many podcasts. So thank you to you both. We're here to talk about Disaster by Choice, which has, has made it onto one of our uh, reteach lists, which I'll, I'll come to and contextualize in a moment. I want to start actually just by asking you about when you put this together and you put it out there in the world, did you think it would become so popular, not just as a, as, as a book for people to read and to kind of get to know this this really important issue, but in the education world as well, especially with teachers, because they really are running with this, Elon, I can tell you that for sure. Well, very kind of them. And really, we hope that it has impact, but positive impact. So it's not about the book per se. It really is about the messages. And we certainly hope that people will take up the messages, absolutely improve them, do a lot better, morph them in such a way that works for them and their audiences and their approaches, and really go forward with the action, the science-based action, which I hope that the book suggests. Mm. Yeah, it's something um, that's... Because you you're also a, a communicator and someone who engages with the public a lot and tries to synthesize information to make it more accessible. And it's a job that I do as well. And and it can be very, very tricky to bring this very scientific, um, you know, prescriptive, what seems to be prescriptive kind of out there to the audience. But that's one of the things that your book does really, really well is that it does give pause for thought. It does think, hang on a minute, we need to rethink about what we mean by natural hazards. Is there such a thing as natural hazards or natural disasters? And it is a, st- a topic of discussion that happens in geography classrooms quite a, quite a fair bit. Um, so how would you sum up, um, obviously the, the title of the book is very telling by itself, but how would you sum up the, the book in itself? I mean, is it one that gets you thinking about questions or is there a particular narrative that, that you take all the way through it? In summary, humans cause disasters. So some people have resources and power and opportunities. They make choices which create the disasters. That's really the summary, but that in itself is not necessarily an easy or straightforward message. It says you're saying we have the decades of science, but how do we communicate that? And that's where it is difficult. It is terrifying and always looking for feedback about how we can do it better because all of the challenges and the nuances say, well, what does it mean disaster by choice? So we don't want to use the phrase natural disaster because they come from humans, not from nature, but why? And that why is the key. This is where it gets complicated. We do know that earthquakes happen and floods happen and storms happen and tornadoes and avalanches and tsunamis and landslides. Why are people living in structures that cannot withstand an earthquake which we knew would happen? Why do people not get out the way 
when a tornado warning is issued? Why is it a long-term, very challenging process to ensure that people get the information they need and they're able to act on it? And this is where the book goes into the different reasons. Some of it is poverty. They cannot afford it. Or it's simply poverty of not having choices, a poverty of lack of choice, because their governments don't want to give them choice, because when they step outside, they're worried about crime, or because they simply feel that there are other priorities. It's also thinking about individuals. So we know that certainly when it comes to violence, when it comes to assault, certain people are targeted more than others, certain groups are targeted more than others. If you have that fear, if that is your daily experience, then how can you think about the earthquake which might or might not happen in the next 50 years? So who is creating society like this? Who is ensuring that when a flood goes through, some people just shake it off and it's not a big issue, and other people are devastated for years, if not for life? This is simply having health support in place, about having a community that cares about having governments and insurance companies that are willing to assist in the way that they should assist and play the roles that they're meant to play for people who need help. All these are choices. In places where we are fortunate enough to vote, it's about how we vote. In places where the media do influence our decisions, it's about how those media are influencing our decisions. And then for those of us who are fortunate enough to have power and opportunity and resources, are we looking at nature? Are we understanding the dangers which could emerge and are we able to deal with it? So people have different choices. Not everyone is all choices and the key message is that disasters come from those who have choices, often causing problems for others. This happens over the long term. We do not build a city overnight. We do not build infrastructure overnight. And so ultimately, do not use the phrase natural disaster. Do not use the phrase disaster event, because disasters are not natural, they are caused by humans. And disasters are not events, they're about long-term societal processes and choices. Yeah, and you really struck a chord with me actually, what you said being, um, thanks for me, I gave my pronouns at the beginning of, of, of the, uh, of the episode and it really struck me about um what you were saying about the choices or they've got you know people may have the choice or don't have the choice to worry about certain things because they're so preoccupied with the poor choices that are being made by people in position and privilege and power um so like this is not my podcast. I'm not going to go into details with with my personal experience, but that definitely resonated with me. And I think what I will say, though, because people listen to this, our geographers and educators, is that this is why it's so, so important that we take such an intersectional, multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary approach to issues such as this, because it is not just an environmental thing. Oh, a hurricane develops where the where the sea surface temperatures are over a certain amount and then the prevailing winds take it. It is so much more than that. And they don't become, quote unquote, disasters without that human anthropological element to it. Um, so I think that really, really does speak. <laughs> that spoke volumes to me, uh, most certainly. And it's why I identify as a geographer more than anything else, Ian, because <laughs> uh, of the beauty of that intersectionality. Um, 
the other thing that comes to mind as well is is in in the book you use the term uh, that you say that basically no one is inherently vulnerable, which I thought was a really really good term. Um, would you like to, so? Can you just expand on that a little bit? You did a little bit just there, but can you just expand on that a little bit, man? What do you mean by people are not inherently vulnerable? So this idea of vulnerability is really what it means to not have choices, to not have the resources, to not have the political power, to be terrified of standing up against a leader because you might get a knock on the door in the middle of the night and then they drag you away for incarceration or torture off an execution. What that means is how are we going to query our leaders and say, well, do I know that my building is safe in earthquakes or floods? How can we stand up and say, you've spent a lot of money on the army. Well, we need a bridge to cross that river so children can get to school safely. And the majority of the world's population do not have that privilege. They cannot do that. This means that they have this long-term societal process of vulnerability. That means that when uh, the environment does what the environment does, like a storm, an earthquake, or an avalanche, they cannot deal with it, and they come to harm. Those who live in poorly constructed buildings come to more harm than those who do not. Those who can barely put enough food on the table every day are going to come to more harm than those who have plenty of groceries and are able to stockpile for two weeks or two months. But these are not choices that many individuals can make. So when people accumulate wealth, when people accumulate political power and they deny that to others, they are forcing vulnerability onto those who do not have choices. So yeah, we hear a lot of phrases, oh, women are more vulnerable to disasters. But actually, it's the societal roles which they're forced to play. So in most places, women tend to be carers for others more than men. That means that when there's evacuation, the women are thinking of others, not just themselves, which means they may be slowed down, they may have fewer options or opportunities, and so they are made to be more vulnerable. Same with poor people. It's all very well to say, oh, well, there's a hurricane warning, why didn't you get out? Well, there's no public transport, they don't have their own private vehicle, if they try and take a couple of days off work to be safe, they're going to be fired and fired without any recourse, without any opportunity. So of course they don't make the decision to evacuate because they can't. So it's not because they're stupid. It's not because they completely lack any idea of what a hurricane is. It's because they have been made to be vulnerable. So look, we all have limitations. We all have weaknesses, absolutely, which is why we need to get together to help each other. But in terms of vulnerability, no, that's created by those around us, that's created by society. Certain people do make choices to force vulnerability on themselves. As long as that's informed, that's absolutely their choice. The majority of vulnerability, particularly when we're dealing with the environment, comes from those with power and resources, pushing it on those who do not have as much. Yeah, I know. I want to take this opportunity to recommend uh, your discussion that you had with uh, the curious geographer Ellie, a uh, good friend of, of mine, a fantastic geography teacher also in London. Um, and folks, it's very easy to find. So if you just go onto YouTube and you just search for curious geographer Ellen Kelman, the discussion that you two had was absolutely brilliant. I love the way that, that Ellie 
contextualize it in terms from a teacher's point of view, GCC, A-level, whatever. Um, but the examples that you gave in that video, so like you gave the, again, you say it's in the book, like the analogy of a car crash, for example. It's like that, you know, that, that there are mechanisms at play which cause that to happen. You know, people don't just crash their car. And the other thing you said, which was really, really um, made me, f- even though I'm an ex-geography teacher myself, it made me think was, Japan, yeah, they're fantastic at preparing for an earthquake, but it was the tsunami that did a lot of people in a lot of damage. So they had prepared, they had goal of that, they had all that knowledge, expertise, decision to prepare for a structural damage from an earthquake or whatever it is. But then a tsunami came along and they weren't prepared for that. And that and just that, blew my mind. Yeah, that is absolutely an illustration. And, and also, I fully support you about Ellie. She is amazing. It's not just my conversation with her really do look up youtube and the curious geographer she's just absolutely amazing amazing mind of information knowledge and energy to educate i've learned so much from her Uh, and these examples which she drew out for me so well really illustrate it is amazing what japan and other places like california and seattle have done in order to prepare for earthquakes it's not precluding the chance of a major earthquake catastrophe in the future, but they've been tested so often and saved thousands of lives. Yeah. We know that like Japan, California, and Oregon and Washington State are actually not fully ready for that major tsunami. That's the statement of what. We still have to ask why. Mm-hmm. And this why comes from that V word, vulnerable, vulnerability to show that people will focus on one certain aspect of nature neglecting the others. That's not something that I can particularly do. It's not something you can particularly do because we don't have that power. I can stand up and scream all I want and say, actually, London also is not ready for a major tsunami, but what can I actually do? Well, I've tried to keep myself out of the tsunami inundation zone. I think very carefully about where I live. That doesn't help the thousands who are definitely vulnerable, who are at risk. And again, if the people are struggling day to day, are working two to three low paying jobs and commuting two hours each way to get to one of those jobs, simply because they are marginalized, they're oppressed, they're in poverty, and they're kept from trying to do better, how can I go to them? And say, oh, you know, you're actually in London's tsunami inundation zone. You might want to think about that. I mean, it's ridiculous. We just do it. So this is a societal structures that we have to challenge and try to improve to call to account those who have the decisions, who have the resources, and who are creating vulnerability for many others. Yeah. One of the the passions that I've got at the moment is to treat such things and especially climate change as a safeguarding issue as a school safeguarding issue and uh, what you've just said there is exactly what I've been trying to help teachers and schools and senior leadership team to understand is that this this is this contextual safeguarding duty that we have you know we, we we don't have the choice we can't control where the students of a school live you know whereabouts in the catchment area they may live but we most certainly can do our best to to contextualize 
you know, um, our duties of safeguarding to make sure that we can empower the students with the knowledge and everything they can do to keep themselves as safe as possible, but then to also challenge the power structures in order to, 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 and this is what you say, doing those little things that we can. And that's the other thing you said to Ellie as well, wasn't it? That you and Ellie said was that doing these little tiny things that could be taken on board by someone with a little bit more power, a little bit more choice and then running with it. Um, so it's, this is what we need to do, teachers and educators in schools. Is is this is why us geographers really do have a unique uh, kind of platform here. Um, with regards to the reteach uh, website, uh, Elon, I mean, you've your book comes under three different lists, uh, recommended reading lists. So we've got uh, Catherine Owen's uh, list about how decision making affects vulnerability to hazards, and, and she talks about. I love how she also talks about the bit that your your book is full of hope, you know, examples of good decision making, you know, such as limiting hazard risk in communities in Toronto. And Sarah Darby, who's uh, who's a geography teacher who actually studied hurricanes for her dissertation. Uh, she, in the wide people living hazardous areas, I'm just going to read out what she said. She said, this book focuses on the human element of disasters. It looks how disasters occur due to our choice to live in the area, our vulnerability, and sometimes our arrogance to the face of nature. Kelman discusses a range of hazards and how human decisions influence whether these hazards become disasters, looking at all aspects of disaster and the key players that influence impacts. The book is a fantastic review of the different hazards and, and could be used for examples or as given as reading. You could use it to compare the hazards in different areas and the reasons why people continue to live there. Um, and I added in the list um, of natural hazards impacts, response to influences, uh, a necessary read and a significant counter narrative to the theory of environmental determinism. So um, I, well, I, very kind words. Uh, very appreciated. Again, it's always nice to know the message is getting there and that is a key. It's not just what is happening. It's mm-hmm. not just oh, people are dying and we know to blame. It's what can we do about it? What should we do about it? And offering solutions, often way, offering ways forward that anyone can adopt, even those who are most marginalized, most oppressed, and are quite understandably terrified of the people with power. Yeah, um, absolutely, 100%. Um, and of course, recently, as the time recording, we've very, very recently had the absolutely devastating uh, earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Um, and wow, do we see a contrast between you know one side of the national border to the other. Uh, and then also, as I tagged uh, you on Twitter as well, Elon, was um, the the atrocious flooding that is occurring in Malawi and that part of Africa. So a friend of mine who lives in Malawi sent me this footage of of the floods that were taking place there and people being swept away and their homes being inundated. And I just want to, um, before we started recording, I said, you know, geographers are very, very quick to pick up on these case studies, you know, and then really get in their hot with their students and say, look, guys, this is what's happening right now in the world. And this is why we, it's important that we study this, we look at this and, and we, we do geography and things like this. What lessons should we really be learning about these events? So when when the teachers are putting their case studies together and that academic excitement is kicking in because this is really what's happening, but we have the empathy of what's going on, what would you say is like, okay, that's great. You need to consider this or we need to consider this. The frustration is the same message. That does make it easy that, look, Mozambique and Malawi have been hit very badly over the past few weeks, primarily because of decades of poverty, poor governance, conflict, internal and external influences, overexploiting the people and the environment, 
and a complete disinterest in being ready for a perfectly typical, usual environmental situation, which when preparedness and readiness do not happen, those who are worst off suffer most. And, and that's the fundament. The disasters are not natural. They are not coming from the weather or the floods or the climate. They're coming from people. That's a frustration, but that is a message. And if using contemporary events helps to invigorate people, helps to galvanize them to action, then yes, sadly, we have to grab that possibility and say, look at what the news is reporting, but look at what the news is not reporting. So many media still use a phrase natural disaster. So many media still talk about it being extreme and unusual and unprecedented, and it was none of those. So many media will still say, oh, and all of these poor people were suffering, especially women and children. Well, okay, the reason that, they're, that women and children are having problems are because of the societal roles, as we discussed earlier. But you know what? Men are also suffering. And a lot of that comes from the societal roles that they play. So yeah. this is really an education opportunity to educate and to show what is demonstrated and, or what is reported and what is not reported. So we can try and change people's mindsets exactly as you did, Kit. Thank you. To say natural disaster. Well, no, it's not a natural disaster. It's a I disaster. tried to stay in the growth zone. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so unfortunately, the disaster happens. We oh. can't change it, but let's use it as an opportunity to try and do even better. Yeah. I'm, I've just got uh, my WhatsApp. Uh, conversation here with with my friend from Malawi and uh, and Francis uh, Sukuma Kwambiri to you for for um, describes me what's been going on. So I just want to read out a few messages. So he says um, so he says yes the, the damage from the floods it's it's hard it will be hard to recover because the banks have no foreign exchange. And I and I said does that mean that the, the prices are being pushed up? He said yes exactly. Uh, and he says we 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 try hard to produce agricultural products to sell outside, but the government is not being supportive in this area. And the other thing he said was uh, when the cyclone hit Malawi, the president was in Qatar. So these are exactly three examples right there. Yep, these are the chronic issues. And of course, everyone is trying to live day to day. So they yeah. look at the fact that the price increased from yesterday or the past week. They look at the fact that one bank collapsed over the past yep. week. They look at the fact that the president of the country made one foreign trip and wasn't around, even though they knew the cyclone was coming. But it's not these acute aspects. It's not these specific events. It's wow. a chronic situation that means that the president was not aware or didn't care to be aware or made the decision anyway. It's the fact that we are so dependent on a financial system controlled by a few wealthy individuals who have very little interest in equity and equality. I mean, really, why do we need to own a billion euros? What can we even do with that? It just makes no sense. And why do we set up mind. a banking system where when individuals controlling that uh, particular company or that particular system make a really stupid decision, the people who can least afford it suffer the most. These yeah. are chronic. It's not just about yesterday or last week. It's about how the whole country of Malawi suffered under a dictator for decades, was exploited by outside forces, was not helped by Malawians with the power and resources, yeah. so that your friend then actually has no option whatsoever to reduce their own vulnerability. So yeah, yeah cyclone comes through. Of course it comes through. That's what happens. Wow. And your poor friend is sitting there videoing people dying 
rather than being able to say, oh, you know what? I can hold out for a few days. I can feed my family. We'll clean up yep. and then get on with life, which is what a flood should be. It should not yeah. be a flood disaster. Yeah, 100%. Um, we've we've covered so so much that uh, I've I've put here to, to discuss, uh, Elon. So I'm just trying to think about where to move. Right, okay. So let's move on to kind of maybe your inspirations now. When you were in school in college or college, were there any particular books or written material that inspired you to take this route into, you know, disaster hazards? And I wouldn't just say that as well, you know, but also the, quite clearly the, the humanitarian things, the anthropogenic side of things. Was there anything that you picked up and you thought, oh, this is really interesting and it just sparked you to do what you're doing today? This is actually it. Nothing that I've written is original. Nothing in my book is really my own ideas because I've been inspired by so many others and really tried to collate what they've done. And it was these first books that I came across when I first realized, oh, you know what? There's this whole field of disaster science, and there's a whole system out there trying to help people and avoid disasters. So my inspirations were really the first books in contemporary disaster research. And I say contemporary, although they go back quite a while when people first tried to found this field in the 1970s and 1980s. As we're learning, it actually goes back centuries but I didn't know this at the time. And a lot of people who come into this field think, oh my goodness, we need to look at disasters. No one's ever considered it. But philosophically and practically, yeah, uh, it goes yeah. back a long way. The titles which really inspired me, though, come out of the 1970s and 90s, 1980s. I really founded the contemporary idea that dealing with disasters could be a science and there's plenty we can do. And they are really evocative titles. So I'll give four of them if that's okay. Got it. One yep. of them is that the Interpretations of Calamity, which is quite intriguing. That's by Ken Hughes uh. in 1983. Another one is Development in Disaster Prone Places by James Lewis, 1999. So a bit later, but he draws on most of his work from the 1970s and 1980s. And it's interesting because, of course, we're always developing both infrastructure and a society. Every place is disaster prone. So that title and the whole book, Development in Disaster-Prone Places, shows what we can and should do. Mm. Another one, which was slightly later, but drawing on the foundational work, is called The Gendered Terrain of Disasters, yep. which just shows actually, yeah, people will talk about women and men, people will talk about beyond the binary, and of course we should, but it's not just that individual and individuals count, it is also the whole terrain yeah. The whole world. And the people, Elaine Anderson and Betty Morrow, who wrote this book and came up with this idea of the fact that the world is gendered and all our terrain has that genderization. As you referred to earlier, kid, it's then beyond gender, it really is all our characteristics, which yeah. many people are now inspiring me through their more recent work. And the final one is the simplest. It actually came out in 1994, second edition 2004, but really bringing together all the wonderful work from the decades before, two words, at risk, led by Ben Wisner. And this defines it. We are at risk. That's not bad, because what would life be without risk? It can be good fun. Is that it? doesn't mean we should die. That doesn't mean we should create risk for others against their will. It's just simply a statement of fact. We are at risk. Let's deal with it in a constructive, forward-thinking, compassionate, caring manner 
for ourselves and for others. Well, thank you for for the uh, recommendations there. I think we'll have to, uh, when we do our revision of our reteach lists, we'll have to uh, see where they would fit in into our list. They, they are excellent recommendations. Right. I really have been looking forward to asking you uh, this particular question. So I'll just say it how I worded it. So you found the genie in the bottle. I mean, whatever suits you, whether it's Robin Williams or Will Smith, uh, you can take your pick. What three wishes would you ask for, uh, which would go in your opinion, educated opinion, furthest in mitigating and adapting to the impacts of climate change and these natural processes? Uh, well, it's the usual, right? We want a better world, world peace, everyone to get together. But in terms of really trying to break that down into three specifics, number mm. one, I, I sort of just mentioned it, more compassion. Yeah. The level of vitriol in this world, the level of hate, of course we should criticize. Of course we should call people out. Of course we should try to do better, but we can do it in a constructive, respectful, and appropriately friendly manner, which really comes from compassion. This would lead to uh, what I'll call my second wish, really, let's exploit each other less. We shouldn't be exploiting each other at all. Instead, working together, providing more fairness, more equitability, more equality within society, but also the environment. We cannot separate yeah. ourselves from the world, from nature, and we should stop exploiting what's around us in each other. I, I referred earlier that, that some people don't know how much food they're going to eat each day. Some are facing the racism or the sexism or the homophobia every single day. They cannot step outside, go to work or go to school without harassment or violence. That's just unacceptable. Mm. And my wish is that we would stop it. Which really is one of the baseline fundamental issues. And my third wish is solve them. Solve these baseline fundamental issues. So it's intriguing that you're referring to climate change because climate change or human-caused climate change is actually a symptom. Yep. It's not a cause of all of these societal ills which we talk about and which my third wish would try to solve. Human-caused climate change comes from exploiting each other and comes from exploiting yep. the environment. And I'd like to stop that. So by focusing on the baseline fundamental issues, we really say, you know what? If we highlighted climate change and if we made the, the wrong statement that climate change will kill us all, so let's put everything into stopping that, we actually don't solve racism or sexism or poverty or lack of choice or vulnerability. We're tapping one symptom. Conversely, if we tackle the fundamental issues and say we need compassion, we need caring, we need to ensure that we are not exploiting, by definition, we stop this destructive human-caused climate change. Yeah. So those three are interconnected, and I wish my genie well in fulfilling my wishes. <laughs> Absolutely marvelous. Uh, you, you, obviously, with me and you, you're preachers are converted, and you're, you're definitely a person after my own heart. But um, I've just just trying to think um, when you're talking about synergy and and, inter and we were talking a bit earlier about interdisciplinary and interconnectivity. With, you know, one of the I'm, I've been a bit heartened with the more recent IPCC report, so the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report, which did a really good, and especially their special report on 1.5 degrees, when they did this really good analysis of how the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, actually work together and they can coalesce and they can synergize 
you know, and a lot of these problems on those three things that you just said, you know, that's what we really need to be working on. Um, and the to kind of to go into a, a bit more granular with with your wishes. The other thing that they they did was that they finally finally recognise indigenous voices and indigenous power. Finally, it's a start. It's not enough. It's a start, though. Having that compassion for those who have, for thousands of years, have been stewards of this world, you know, and have been able to uh, have the power and the choice to mitigate the risk because they are in tune with the land. They can see the signals, you know. Until people of uh, you know of of power and privilege like came along and disrupted that process and caused that disconnect and came without compassion. Um, so. It's absolutely, yeah. I I think when I when I'm giving talks about climate change and stuff like that, I really do try to to give that mission across. But I think, Elon, you've really, really uh, given me a a really solid way to kind of go forward with that message. And I think the word compassion is spot on. It's absolutely perfect. So thank and you. So much is learning from each other. Yes, I've learned from the people who I mentioned, and so many more I've not been able to mention. I really don't bring a lot new to this because we've known yep. it all and we just haven't applied it. I hope that I can inspire others and to do better because, yeah, of course I make mistakes all the time. As they say, I never make the same mistake twice. I always make new ones. Yes. And <laughs> so this is where we need feedback. Contact mm -hmm. me. Contact you, Kit. Contact the others. Tell us what works for you and what doesn't. Yeah. I'm not going to throw out technology. We're using it right now. And obviously all listeners Indeed. are using the best the modern world has to offer. Nor should we throw out those indigenous voices and those indigenous wisdoms that you mentioned. By helping ourselves, we help each other. By learning, teaching, and exchanging, we come together as a species for ourselves and for the planet. And that really is what this is all about. Because if we don't, we see the horrifying results, maybe in Malawi and Mozambique last week, maybe in Turkey and Syria a few months ago, but it affects us all and it is going to affect us all very adversely if we do not act together starting today. Yeah. Um, Aileen, it's, you, uh, you've been very, very humble and you definitely, you know, you've made it very, very clear you've been drawing on previous work and things like that, but you are such a good orator, a communicator, and as someone who works, you know, with this stuff, you know, with with climate change, with these natural processes and things like that, you can feel very anxious and very down, you know, and very pessimist about the future. But listening to you now, listening to you talk before reading your book, you do fill me with hope. And I just want to thank you for channeling all of this previous work and coming out the way you do. So it's been an absolute honor and privilege to talk to you, Elon. And I think a lot of people have re really been given much food for thought listening to this episode. Well, so kind. Thank you for the opportunity again to Federica and Mike for supporting Indeed. us and ensuring this happens. We have a long way to go. We have done so much and we should be proud of that. Absolutely. So uh, thank you again, Elon. So folks, this uh, podcast was produced for the Reteach project. Uh, the producer was Michael Trzinski. Please visit reteach.org.uk slash subjects slash geography for resources to help you offer broader perspectives from key topics and free to access guides, all written by subject experts. I'm Kit Marie, and thank you very much for joining us. Mm -hmm.